Welcome to another episode of the More Love Podcast. Today, I have my guest in the room with me, quite unusual. We have, we're speaking today with Dirk Wilner. Welcome, Dirk. Hi. Dirk has an amazing story to tell and incredible value to give. So, Dirk, you've had a really profound, transcendent experience. So, most listeners know I use the term NOTE which stands for Non-Ordinary Transcendent Experience. Uh, and, and I use that term just for new listeners as an explanation um, because it's more encompassing than specific experiences and can cover anything from falling in love to a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience or a deja vu or an intuitive experience. And it gives... Um, it, it basically refers to anything that warps the time-space continuum, which we all experience regularly, and that's why they're normal, a normal part of, of life, in, in my opinion. So, yours, um, I'll just hand over to you, I think. Okay. <laughs> um, would you share with us your amazing note experience? Well, starting right at the beginning. Right, I know, right I've just flopped you right in it. Well, the thing is that, you know... Um, uh, I guess uh, mine was in an ordinary day. You know, it it's was. like like nothing that would have uh, prepared me that this was going to happen. Um, I just turned forty, and uh, uh, you know, life begins at forty kind of stuff. So I it hope was like, so. yeah, I was <laughs> I was playing squash regularly. We had um, with my mates. We used to do a triathlon. This was uh, on the Sunshine Coast at that time. And uh, it's like going down to the beach for a jog and then into a swim and then the coffee. That was our triathlon, <laughs> you know, with the coffee at the end. But there was nothing at all to indicate that I was going to have uh, a major episode in my life that changes uh, a lot of things or rather, you know, downloads a lot of things. Yeah. So um, that was uh, way back in 2004. And... Um, it was uh, towards the uh, end of the term, just before the Easter holidays, the, the, those uh, holidays started off. And it was the last day when Stephanie, um, I picked the kids up from school. Stephanie, my daughter, had a dental appointment. We went down, did all of that, came back, uh, driving along. And then suddenly in the car at the set of lights, it happened when this massive pain hit my chest. I mean, really like a bolt as like you know I was keeling over on the steering wheel it's like so so severe and Penny my wife was next to me and and she's saying are you okay and I'm kind of like a typical guy sort of suck it up and saying yes and by that stage the lights had turned green and and we proceeded and I'm sort of thinking hold it together hold it together so and there's immense pain and Came home and then uh, Penny was trying to get the doctors. Uh, there's a bit of a story to that, but I'll, I'll skip over that because really it's like, you know, ended up in, in hospital, um, checked overnight. They threw the book at me in terms of what tests we can do. They did them. I was um, wired up for sound, you know, everything was beeping and blood tests and this. And in the morning, the doctor, the specialist came and said, look, we've done everything possible to figure out what this was can't find anything at all in actual fact and i quote him because i love saying that because it's like you know yay you know it was pretty fit in those days and he said your heart is textbook perfect there's nothing wrong 
can we sign you out? And I'm sort of thinking, yeah, of course. You know, it's like, you know, I wasn't going to tell Penny I told you so. There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, the bit you skipped over is that you really were quite resistant about going very to the hospital. Very resistant. Very <laughs> resistant. It's like, no way, Jose, am I going to go to the hospital? And uh-uh. So, you know, I was even arguing with the paramedics. Look, I can walk myself. And they said, no, sir, you have to lie down on the stretcher. And it's like, oh, no. So I was hoping that outside was already dark, that not, you know, the neighbours, you know, give me a kind of a gawking thing. It's like, you know, I was just embarrassed. I thought, no, no, no. Uh, but anyway, yeah, in the morning, uh, it was all okay, right? So you sort of think, told you so, nothing's going on. But um, that's actually when it happened. And so I, I was, uh, so the doctor had finished briefing me and he said, so is it okay we sign you out? And, and I said, sure, you know, <laughs> I didn't want to go home. And um, because I was in the cardiac ward and there were a number of uh, uh, beds only because the nurse's station observes everybody. And um, I, my bed was right in front of them. So it was 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 when it actually happened. But the thing is that it was shift change. So I had double the doctors, double the nurses. They were all busy signing paper, looking stuff. As, you know, and I was sitting on the, on the bed watching it all. I'd still had all of the wires on me. And um, it was breakfast come around and I had some egg on toast and I was nibbling away. And suddenly uh, I had this very strange feeling starting off in my, my toes, my feet. It was like I was standing on ants, on an ant nest. It was tingling. It's like, you know, it was a really strange tingling, the sort of stuff that where you sort of think, what on earth is going on? And that kind of started rising up on my legs. And I thought, you know, should I tell one of the nurses or whatever? So I just reared and they were busy, so I didn't worry. And um, then suddenly it went whoosh over me and I flatlined. And I was dead. Then so the nurses were busy. They were busy, yeah. So, <laughs> But I was, you know, in the right place at the right time because what they then, after all of the stuff found out, is I gave it a name because it was a really odd thing. So it wasn't a heart attack. It wasn't angina. It wasn't any of those kind of uh, anatomical things about the heart, right? So it, that's why it was never found. Um, but it was electrical so, like, in layman's terms, in my terms, I say I blew a fuse. And it didn't mean, matter how many times you jumped up and down my, my chest, it wasn't going to come back again. So it wasn't like, okay, let's keep the heart pumping and, you know, it'll start up again. It was electrical. So I had to have the defibrillators to zap me back. So I was at the right place at the right time. You sure were. And what happened? Well, what happened then? Yeah, because that's usually the question. It's like you know, this when is you're where dead, the magic happens. what happens? Yeah, and <laughs> it's interesting, you know, coming back to actually say, "Well, this is what happened to me." Um, but um, did you tell the doctors what happened to you? Uh, much, much later, I, I did share it with my um, uh, the the surgeon who put the pacemaker in me. So they put a pacemaker in there not because I need it, but just simply because they say we can't trust you being out there that it doesn't happen again. So it's not a pacemaker. I don't have a pacemaker that paces the heart. It monitors the heart, and if it kind of should cut out, it'll it'll kick in. So I often say, I've got my own jumper leads with me. But <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that what happened when when I died was uh, was very very interesting because immediately when that um, those, those, that feeling came over me and I flatlined and I know this now because, I mean, I've got the paperwork. It's like, you know, uh, all of that sort of stuff. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, you know, I just dreamt it or 
it wasn't as severe or whatever it is. I know from the doctors and, you know, they were very frantic trying to get me back. And um, so I was um, flatlining for about two and a half minutes of recorded time, but uh, it they basically then switched this off and, and kind of stuff. So I don't know how much longer it was, but they brought me back. And um, so when it happened, immediately... I was surrounded in this void in blackness. Now I'm only saying that because it's you know it wasn't like okay you were thrust into this blackness. It was like everything that was created in my world that surrounded me was gone instantly. But I was alive. I had total consciousness that I was alive. But everything that I referenced around me, uh, you know, it was gone. So it was just me. So I would say that, you know, I know the doctors were working on my body, but there's another part to us, I guess, you know, in terms of our soul, our spirit, uh, whatever we call, you know, who we really are, that part was then thrust into this experience of what's on the other side kind of stuff. Now, that darkness was very interesting because I guess we need a body to move, right? So <laughs> it was like, how do, we, how do you move in this void? And I was thinking, you know... And this is funny because I remember thinking, I remember, uh, you know, the fact is I knew instantly I was dead, but I had no fear about it. It was not like, oh, freak out, just whatever it is, I'm dead. <laughs> no, it was like, wow, okay, I'm dead. And it was a, such a um, strong realization of that. It wasn't questioned. It was like, okay, you've just died. This is now it. And then looking around, sort of thinking, well, where do I go? What do I, you know? And so it's, I don't know how long I was in this uh, darkness, um, but I remember in that darkness, then two things happened. One is that first one was while I'm thinking, where do I go? What do we do? What is this place? Uh, I started to see suddenly these two uh, eyes, really weird eyes, you know, kind of, you know, Yellowish, reddish, uh, not nice kind of a of a of a look into you, and it was uh, and I heard in my consciousness. I was like not you know I wasn't there hearing it with my ears, but I just heard the if you like the conversation, uh, and it and it asked, "Can I have this one?" Which was a freaky question, mm. uh, because I don't know if that would would say yep, you know what would have been then. I don't know. But the thing is that the, behind me there was a voice that says, no, you can't have this one. And it just disappeared again, right? So here I was le left in this darkness and I just simply blurted out I know, because I thought, okay, you know, uh, what was that voice behind me? And I sort of said, okay, God, where do we go from here? And immediately as I said that, it was like um, the hand of God or something just took me and propelled me through this darkness. And as we were traveling, it was almost like a, like a warp travel through this. It's like, you know, uh, it was amazing. But the thing is that then um, I, I guess, you know, it's, it's a bit like Star Wars or whatever it is. You know, when you have the warp drive, it's like zoom, you zoom through something, which is another space of reality altogether. And then you, it was like the, um, like the darkness faded away like a fog. I would remember so even looking at it sideways and it was like, fading away like a fog, and in front of me, first of all, in this brightness, uh, what became apparent as I looked into it, standing then 
in front of this huge mansion. I, I know that, you know, listeners will always think, oh, yeah, you know, of course, you know, you go into there, you sort of think, um, uh, what are you going to see? But it was, it was weird. It's not like the references that I have in my normal everyday life or desire or anything else. So it was, it was a bit different. Maybe, you know, deep within, I'm not sure, but not really. So this mansion was, or this house was bigger than I could take in, in terms of, you know, I was standing in front of it. Big, tall windows, so you can sort of imagine high ceilings and large windows. And one of the windows was was open, and there was this golden light inside the house that then streamed out. Uh, I called it like floating honey. Because the thing is that it was it was so weird. I mean, I'm talking about otherworldly kind of realities, kind of stuff that I experienced there. That so it it, it flowed out and went around me and circled me, uh, you know, saturated me as I call it. And in that moment, I was so fully alive and so full of joy. There's nothing that I have experienced this side of eternity that than that moment of being fully alive. Like you know, it was like my soul, my spirit had suddenly had a turbo choose uh, uh, turbo juice kind of like you know into you it's like wow you know this is what being alive is really about i find that when i had to come back that it's like um so deflating it's like an existence here uh and i often share it with people that's like imagine that you're a, a bunch of balloons in a packet and you wonder what is life like outside, and someone pulls you out and blows you up, lets you float around, and then lets the air out, and then pushes you back again. Well, that was me. It was like you know, it was pretty deflating coming back again. But there's a lot more to the story than just standing in front of that. Can you call that beautiful liquid honey feeling into your life now? I would say that. Um, I live with it all the time. It's not like it was only something that waited for me then because a lot of the experiences I had in that place and that, uh, as we'll get to talk about it, that subsequently kind of manifested in my life here were, yeah, kind of heavenly or otherworldly or something that connects me to something outside of my ordinary life. Yeah, so that... That feeling of of um, warmth and glow and and joy, you know, it's it's still with me. Not to say that oh, back in this life, I'm just going to be happy, Larry. Stuff happens, but there's a lot more resilience. That you know, if mm. life gets me down, I'll just go back into that happy place. If yes. you like, <laughs> yeah. So you were pretty much like snapped out of your body so to speak by this incredible rush of <laughs> the the feeling of the biting ants up your body and this like this snap experience into the darkness and and then on that you've just explained were you snapped back equally as quickly with the defibrillators well when i when i was up there uh, let's let you know in terms of let's call it heaven or whatever it is, or heavenly experience, um, that golden light that surrounded me wasn't just then, okay, that's it, and now snap back. It was now almost like, uh, now I have this life in me, right? And then I saw 
that the door to this building was open and I went over there and had a look inside and there was a person next to me I didn't pay much attention to but as I looked inside um, I could see that the place was filled with um, with some some people but I didn't know them or they weren't familiar to me because at that stage I, I didn't actually have anybody in my family except for my grandmother um, who'd passed away right so it's not like I knew who these people were but <laughs> I just wonder Sometimes, you know, it was like, who were these people? And I just sort of jokingly sort of say, oh, there must be a billboard in Evans sort of say, oh, Dirk died. You know, who, who knows him? Let's, let's go and say hi to him. <laughs> I don't know whether that was the case, but it's um, kind of a funny thing that, you know, this crowd of people, right? And um, they, were all, um, they were all dressed in white, but um, it was like the clothes were like, like they, they – I don't want to say designer clothes, but it seemed that the clothes fitted the person. It was like they wore their personality. They wore, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, everyone had, you know, white robes and were suddenly kind of like, you know, floating around. It was very human, very earthy, uh, but but um, different. And, but the golden light was, was still there, you know, in them and around. And so it's like, you know, seeing in this kind of a way. But, um, in that crowd, I saw a familiar face, which was a bit strange because I know my grandmother was way old and she was very fragile and she had died from, you know, the uh, arteries were calcified and so the feet were cut off and then up to, you know, it was a terrible way to kind of like you know, go. But so I looked and I thought, I know that smile. But I've never seen my grandmother uh, young or without the, the the wear and tear of this life. You know, she was like fully alive, fully maybe the way that we were meant to be. Or, And I, I remember even talking to people who have reached 100. And I was sort of said to them, how old do you feel? And they were saying, well, if I look in the mirror, I know that I'm 100 and if my body is aching. But if I close my eyes and just think about who I am, I'm still a 20-something, you know. So I think the soul doesn't actually age. Maybe it just reaches that 20-something and then we just cruise along on that, that place. But um, I looked at her and I saw this smile and immediately from the door there, I was right next to her. It was almost like space didn't matter anymore. It was just zap, boom, I was right there. And suddenly I knew it was my grandmother without even having to say anything because it was... But like I said, oh, it's just in that moment wondering, I thought, wow, I've never seen you fully alive. I only remember you as my grandmother. And there was something else that was different. It, here on this side, she was my grandmother. You know, there's a biological kind of, of connection, whatever it is. Over there was almost like she was her own person. I don't know how to describe that. It was like I knew who you were. I knew that previously you were my grandmother, but now there's uh, it's it's like everyone's on the same plane, everyone's on the same level. There was no biological okay, you know, line or whatever it is. You were a person on your own and fully alive, if you like. And then that kind of like you know went back to the door, and the person that I said that I ignored at the door, <laughs> uh, that was interesting. So I I thought okay, well you know you're still standing there, so. I looked down and I saw his feet. It was like, you know, and they had some scars on the feet. 
And I thought, oh, that's, uh, I think I know who you are. And I, you know, looked up further and, and you know, kind of like, you know, had, had a bit of the Jesus outfit sort of thing with, with a golden sash around. But the funniest thing about this vision or there's this, uh, you know, part of, of uh, that near-death experience was that here, uh, and I'll, I'll say it in terms of Jesus was, was there, but he was holding a goblet of wine. And it's like welcoming him. It's like, you know, who would think that you're coming to heaven? It's like, you know, this goblet of wine. <laughs> it's like, you know, that stuff. That's the weirdest thing. But, <laughs> um, but it, you know, uh, so so part of my life is that I'm actually also a pastor and a, and a counsellor. And there's actually some reason to this, which I had no attention to it beforehand, but obviously this is now sort of like, okay, pay attention here. Um, say, for instance, when, uh, you know, Christians have Holy Communion, there's the cup and Jesus was talking about, this is my cup of the new covenant of, of a salvation, of covenant meaning a promise, so, uh, a, a, a testimony, kind of like, you know, this is what I'm going to do and I'll, you know, lock it in if you like. And um, that event, however, is based on even older event when uh, the Jews went uh, uh, out of Egypt and escaped and when they have the Seder meal, they have uh, this meal that has four cups. It's that meal, the Passover meal, that uh, Jesus said to his disciples, go and get that ready. And then he had one of those cups and said, this cup is my blood of the you know new covenant, right? There are four. And if you read that passage, then it goes on, and, and that he didn't do the last one. He said, the last one I'll have with you in my father's house. And then he took the disciples out and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and then you have the whole story of him, you know, going to the cross. But the thing is, I never paid any attention to the fact that there's this last cup, if you like, and here am I in heaven and it's like, this is the last cup, the cup of salvation, if you like, the cup of fulfillment of, you know, it's like, uh, and I... Isn't that a nice thing to actually sort of think that you're going to step into heaven and having a cup of wine? It's like, you sort of think, yeah, like, <laughs> bring on the party. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so here I was then, and uh, this thing happened. And then an angel went past him. And uh, it was I knew it was an angel because he was different from the people that I saw in the crowd. So he just came past. He quickly whispered something and moved on. And then Jesus turns and says, oh, it looks like you're going to have to um, go back, but this will be waiting for you when you come. And then you were asking the question, how did you snap back? And it was like, suddenly it was like, I was, uh, it looked like when you're on the bottom of the pool and you're looking up and all the bubbles are floating up. And I was just floating up with the bubbles and then suddenly, bang, I was back into my body and um, opened my eyes and it was strange because something of that residue was still with me because suddenly it was almost like I could take in everything at the same time. It was sort of an out-of-body experience, but still in my body. It's like, you know, yeah, it's a strange kind of a feeling. And then you start to realize that, you know, the, the nurses and the doctors were frantically working on you and they were happy that they got me back and everyone was going, going you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and so quietly everything came back to normal. And um, I had a number of episodes again where it's like, you know, suddenly it was dropping out. And then so I had a nurse with me all the time and they said, look, we've got to put a pacemaker in you 
So um, this was Easter weekend, and so the surgeons and doctors weren't anywhere. So it was an ER thing through my artery, through the neck, Ooh. down into the heart, and so they put a huge plaster on me. Now, when Penny came to see me then in the morning... <laughs> no more, I told you so. No more, but the thing is that, so I said, you know, I came, I was basically out of the ward and having this thing put into me. And um, Penny was in the morning ready to come, had the kids with her. Uh, my eldest, Stephanie, uh, uh, took our youngest to the playground and uh, Nicholas came in with and looked, she came into the ward. Now, just I'll just sort of have a backstory. When she was driving to the hospital, she kept on hearing in her head, he died, but he's okay. He died, but he's okay. It just kept on repeating in her head. So she says, uh, you know, this is her story, but she says, what a silly thing. It's like, you know, just, you know, totally ignoring it and shoving it away, but it kept on saying, he died, but he's okay. So she comes into the ward where I was supposed to be. And you're not there. And the nurse always says, oh, are you, you know, are you Penny? And I ask, you know, and she says, yes, where's Dirk? Oh, well, there's been an incident. He died, but he's okay. You know, <laughs> kind of stuff like that. So it's like, so then I came down with this patch on me and this, um, you know, external pacemaker or whatever it is in me waiting for when the surgeons could come up from Brisbane or, uh, you know, went back from their holidays. And then um, they did the real thing and put a pacemaker in me and here I am sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. I always find these stories just stop me, you know. I, I, when I, when I have this privilege of these conversations, I find that the, the presence of the that's held within the story just stops me. Mm. It's really beautiful, but also quite difficult to ask the next question. <laughs> What's the next question? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, this the next question for me was really having a question about what happened to me. Mm. I really was in a bit of a place of confusion. Um, and was that confusion uncomfortable or pleasant? No, it was uncomfortable, not in a bad, uncomfortable way. It was like, it was the confusion was that it was so good and so inviting. I would have imagined if I would have stepped over that threshold at the door and picked that cup up, I would have been really delighted to be there. Mm. So coming back was a bit of a downer, like I said, you know, and, and yet I've got to say that the confusion was, this, you know, Love my life, love my family, love my mm. wife, and 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 um, okay, what what does that mean? And mm. um, how am I going to fit my put my feet back on the ground, mm. so to speak? Because just to remind the you know the listeners that your life was incredibly full. You mm. know, it was jam packed every moment of the day. You you weren't you know, it was just a full life, wasn't it? It's not like it was a, a life lacking in anything. No. So no, 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 no. To, 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 to be in that confusion, it's a serious confusion. But, you know, the confusion is having a foot in both camps now. Yep. Like the reality of what I just saw was very real. Actually, to me, more real in just those two and a half plus minutes of that experience on the other side was more real to me than the 40 years that I'd lived previously. And it was like so intense and uh, inviting that I long for it even now, you know. But the thing is that I know being here, 
something about, no, you're here for a purpose. You're here for reason. You know, the, the, our life here has reason and purpose. It's not just, you know, a holding pattern just waiting until we go. There. So I often say to people, if you're still breathing, you've got a reason here. You know, there's a, it's, it's an important thing to discover. What's the reason for you being here? What do you still need to discover about who you are? Because, look, it was like I knew who I was on the other side just as much I was here. But I was sort of thinking, I don't want to go to the other side with all my dirty laundry. You know, it just get your life sorted, get things fixed, because it's like you are who you are, you know, this side and that side. You know, it wasn't like suddenly there was something, boom, magically, and I became a, huber, a superhuman being. I was who I was. So I was sort of thinking when I came back, yeah, look, you know, there is there is real reason for some of the things that, and it's across the, you know, whatever religion or, or you know, thoughts that there are, it's uh, when you're talking about how do you find your true humanity, how do you find your true identity, and there's so much confusion about any of that, or even today, mm. how do you find who you really are? I mean, we're on that journey, and it's like, you know, figure it out here. You know, this is important stuff. You know, don't dismiss the fact that this searching in your heart and your soul is um, is the um, kind of accidental stuff. I would actually say that's mm. actually the really important stuff. Me too. Yep. Yep. But we live in a world where it says work hard, love later. Mm. And it, it, it's back to front. Do you know, um, one of the things that I come back now and sort of think is really enjoy the moment. Mm. You know, every day, uh, see it as a gift in that moment. Yeah, enjoy what's happening. I don't see things anymore in terms of um, accidental. Mm. You know, everything that happens in the day, the people I meet, the people that you meet, you know, even now, everything has a reason, everything has a purpose, that nothing is by accident. Mm. And for a long time, even now, I, I mean, I love watches, but I hardly wear them because um, it's almost like the previous life I had was on my time, you know, busy, 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 do, 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 and, you know, being a bit of an alpha type is like you know <laughs> let me add it i'll i'll um, i'll make it happen but it was kind of like um that's changed significantly when i came back it was far more relaxed far more enjoy what you've got there and enjoy the moments that are given they have i keep coming back to it they have reason they have purpose mm. Yeah. Mm, absolutely so I do want to get on to the, the part that happened after you oh, came back. I thought you might. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, right now I want to ask, um, it's sort of, in a way, you know, if you just take a logical listen to, to, to this experience that you've had, it kind of sounds like we've got these two parts of us. But I think of them as one where one being in in a in a human experience, I guess, extended forward into a human experience is the language that I like to use. Um, but you've you've had a foot in both camps, so how do you explain it? I've read um, quite extensively different philosophies and so forth, and one of the things is that is often a preoccupation: are we a body with a soul, or are we a soul with a body? And um, what is the purpose of 
the body? What is the purpose of the soul? Are they so connected that, um, you know, if the one passes, the other one passes? In other words, there's nothing after this. If your body dies, then that's it. Or is there more to who you are that when you do die, when the body ceases to function the way that it's designed to do, well, what happens then? And so this experience saying, no, there's more to you than, than just the functioning part of your body. Now, I know that we need a body in order to interact with, you know, the stuff all around us. You can't interact with it unless you have a body. So we are created in a creation, if you like. So it's like this is our interaction modality, if you like. But it's not defined and limited to that. So we're actually much more than that, which is often what people who have had a near-death experience will tell you, that they come back and say, there is so much more to you, so much more to everything that's around you. And I think it really opens up your eyes to the fact that we often find ourselves so tied to the limited yes. version of us. And hence, I think, you know, like your podcast and the focus on on discovering what is love we limit that as well you know we limit our understanding of who we are and who the other person is and what the point of it all is and so that depletes what we're going to do next yes. and so it's kind of like a really poor version of us dealing with other people who are dealing with poor versions of themselves not really kind of coming in just saying hold on what's the bigger picture here uh, i'm not just talking about you know what else can we think of? But what else is there about the essence of life that's bigger? Tap into that because that grows you into being able to be far more effective in dealing with the people around you, being nicer, being loving, being more whatever it is that you need to be in that person. Because so often when you just dig into ourselves and you're just like, you know, man, there's a bit of an empty pit here. <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes, you know, I struggle with the concept of, of the answer is within us because in a way, if we're far more than our physical body, my, my brain sometimes goes, well, maybe the answer's outside of us, you know. It's just this silly little thing that my brain does. But I think you're right, um, but not quite. Exactly. I think <laughs> it's actually both. Yes, yes, You know, yes. the answer is within us and the answer is outside of us. The answer within us is that we've got to connect to the things that are on outside of us. Yes, yes. Because it's almost like, you know, how... I mean, we understand computers. We need another download in order to have another upgrade, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, we understand how that works. And I think within our soul, our spirit, our who we are... We certainly can get to a certain level by our sheer willpower and meditation and everything else like that, but it's limited to, again, who we are. So you're just digging in with you know the resources that are already invested in you as a person. But if you then have the ability or the connection that, hold on, there's also a connection outside of you, if you like, a download into you. So it's both, I think, because when the download happens, you have something within you. Yeah, a bigger well to tap into and to extend from. Well, enough about my thoughts. What happened after the pacemaker was installed and you eventually got to go home and you restrained from saying, I told you so, Penny? <laughs> I did tell her. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so yes, yeah, so got home, obviously on, on sick leave and... Uh, you know, I often say to people that uh, what happened next, I've got to say, look, I wasn't on drugs from the 
from the doctors or anything else like that. All I had was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Panadol to, you know, for the, for the pain of, you know, having that surgery done and putting the pacemaker in. But even when they put the pacemaker in, I was wide awake. I just had a local around my chest as they were cutting it open. I was watching the monitors and, you know, it's oh like, gosh. and the lead coming in and, you know, tapping it into the heart and then into the unit and tucking oh it under God. the skin and sewing That's it up. That's too like, much for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I was watching it all with fascination, but the thing is I was wide awake. So I often say, look, I just had a local. That's it. But by the time they sent me out uh, back home, uh, that was already out of my system too. But then um, I got home and, of course, news got around. So as it happens, then, you know, um, Friends and family, they pop around and say, hi, how are you doing? What happened? Are you okay? I was in bed in the afternoon when this next part happened and just had everyone popping in, saying hi, and then Penny took them all over into the next room for a chat and coffee, and I was still sitting there in my bed, up with pillows, no dazing off. I just had, you know, a lot of stimulus from all the chat stuff. So it wasn't like, oh, now I'm dozing off and I went into La La Land or something. No, totally wide awake. And suddenly, you know, they closed the door uh, and left me to myself. But I had this prayer, this, this, this question, why, God? I know you can switch me off and on, but what for? What's the purpose? So I had this constant kind of, okay, please explain sort of um, thing in my head. And um, rather than sort of saying, oh, well, it was because of this and having a kind of a aha moment, oh, now I understand. No. So what was it that, that came in? It was like um, from, my, from my right-hand side, it was like suddenly these beings came in and appeared around my bed and... Angelic beings, right? So not, you know, so it's, they were full of sparkle, far taller and um, more robust than we are. A bit like, you know, Schwarzenegger kind of in his prime sort of thing. But, uh, but I'm talking about, you know, um, uh, majestically built, like, you know, it's like a force to be reckoned with, you know, bulk, uh, you know. But um, they were fantastic. They were sparkly. You know, like I often say, you know, party sparklers, just imagine the whole body is like this this uh, sparkle of, you know, so it was not like us human flesh and bone sort of stuff, but this anatomically like us. Right? So, so but, but full of this energy, full of this sparkle, full of this um, wow. And there were five of them who appeared around my bed and the one on my on my right, obviously a little bit more senior than the others, I don't know, but he was the one who started off and said to me, in, in my knowing, right? So it wasn't like I heard them in my ears. It was like in my knowing, my understanding. What instructions have you got for us? I laughed and I said, what do you mean instructions? If you want instructions, you know, you're angels. You go to God for instructions. I don't give you instructions. <laughs> and then he said, put your hand in my hand. This is where it gets weird. So, listeners, you know, I'm just, you know, disclaimer kind of, it gets weird. It was weird for me, all right? So it was like, oh, you know, it's so, it was strange. So I looked at his hand as he put his hand out, and I thought, wow, you know, it looks just like our hand, you know, five digits and, you know, the arms and exactly like us. And I thought, oh, I'll see where this is going to go. I put my hand into his, and as soon as I had my hand into his, it was like electrifying, it was like, 
this zap, I'm talking about a download, um, this zapping, and immediately I spoke in this angelic language. I have no idea what I'm saying, but it sounded beautiful. It was like a language. It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't like blah, 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 blah. No, it's a, it's a beautiful language that came out, and I'm listening to myself saying this, and I'm sort of thinking, wow, it's like SBS, you know. It's like, you know, you see all, <laughs> all the different languages. Like Anyway, so I finished there, and the other guy then, the other angel said, now it's my turn. So I put my hand into his, and immediately I had a different language. And so I went around to five, and I had five different languages at the end of it. I still speak of now. It's like, but the funny thing is that once that was done, it was almost like they got their instructions, and I have no idea what I said, and they just turned where they were and suddenly disappeared. And right at the end on my bed, there was this other little angel, but he was he didn't seem to be so such a force to be reckoned with. He was it was almost like a little bit of a joker and uh, you know, like like a good friend or whatever it is that you'd you'd have. He was at the end of the bed and I was on a roll at this stage and I sort of thought, <laughs> Okay and I sort of said to him, Well, what can I do for you? Sort of thinking, I'm dispensing all of these things, I might as well So um I said, you know, what can I do for you? And he said, nothing, I'm just here for you. And I thought, ah, oh, you're my guardian angel. And he just smiled and, and and turned again and disappeared, right? So I thought, man, now I had a heavenly experience and now I've got this angelic experience, these other beings. Can you imagine now it's like, you know, how my, how my kind of question to God, sort of like in this prayer time, sort of thinking, okay, God, what was this switch on, switch off? I knew you can do that. Now this, what am I supposed to do with this? Man, that was uh, moving out of kindergarten into, into high school kind of thing. <laughs> you were all the more bamboozled. Very bamboozled. But um, with, a, with an underlying sense of reassurance, though, was there... Well, yeah. There was something really interesting about it because the next day it happened again, but in a totally different way. And I think this is one of the things that when we're talking about what else is there. So, for instance, for me, knowing that we live in a world that we can see, but there's also an unseen world that is all around us. Um, you know, we don't pay any attention to it unless, you know, you suddenly have a bit of a revelation you know, check out, there's more to life than meets the eye. So the next day, I remember my in-laws came and uh, they were in Brisbane and they came up and visited. And it's like, again, in the afternoon sort of stuff. And my mother-in-law loves the cafes on the Sunshine Coast. So she sort of like popped in and, you know, hi, how are you doing? Fine. Okay, you're, you're all right. I want to have a coffee now. Come on. <laughs> we're going to pack everyone up and, and we're going to leave you here and, and go. So they left, closed the door, and um, off they went. It was silence in the house. And I'm still stuck with these questions now after two very strange experiences. And I go back into, okay, what is this all about? And sure enough, this time, these beings came in, but they were very different. They kind of came in like a, like a bunched group, and they looked greyish parch parchment paper, you know, sort of weird, grey kind of a look to them. <coughs> a kind of emptiness? Empty. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they came in and immediately filled, I could feel the sense that they filled the room with such rage, anger, uh, disdain. It's almost like, you know, if they could, they'd want to rip me from limb to limb, sort of like, you know, I thought, ugh, you know, what is happening now? And as they came in, 
um, I heard, um, I, I, again, God speaking into my voice, and I says, this is what I want you to do with these angels. I thought, do with these angels? Oh, okay. So it's obviously not the same lot that we had last time. It's <laughs> like, you know, it's like, so because the funny thing is that when they came in, because I didn't know what I was saying, I thought I must have given the wrong instruction. So I apologized to them. I said, oh, sorry, did I say something wrong? So yeah, that's when God said, this is what I want you to do with them. So, um, and the funny thing is he gave me a four part, okay, this is what I want you to do with them. He said, the first thing is shut them up, mute them, silence them. Everything they're going to say is just a lie. How much of that other, you know, those entities in our life are just constantly throwing lies at us, you know? It's like, you're worthless, you're, you know, no good, you're going to have an accident, you're, you know, all this negativity, all these negative thoughts, and it was almost like, press the mute button, stop their talking, you know? Second thing that he said is now bind them. It's almost like, you know, so much of what God wants to give to us or life wants to give to us, all the good things, they get sabotaged or they get sidetracked or they get taken away. It's almost like, you know, so we think, why is, you know, why does life suck so much in terms of the fact that um, I know these good things are there, but they constantly get taken away by this, that or the other. And it's almost like bind them so they don't have a reach into your life to take the things out of your life, right? So it's like, okay, that makes sense. It's like, you know, okay, two things make good sense. And the third one was then prevent them from being replaced. And I thought this one was an interesting one because so often, you know, we can have a little bit of, you know, counseling. I mean, I'm a counselor and you, you do a lot of counselling where you sort of like have a breakthrough and then they go back again. It's like, you know, a couple of steps yeah. forward, three steps back, you know, mm -hmm. this sort of kind of thing. And it got me thinking that we actually may have been successful, except it's like tag team. Okay, we threw one out yes. and it's like, okay, over to you. And we think, okay, we've still got the same problem. No, it's just another one of those entities that is pushing us back down into the ground and uh, causing no end of misery. So it's like, okay, that's the third one. Is kind of like, you know, prevent their replacement. And then I thought, I'm going to get in there. It's like, you know, I'm sort of thinking, oh, okay. And so I thought, okay, and then send them to hell. And it's interesting because God sort of said, no, don't send them to hell. Send them to Christ for judgment. And I thought, wow, this really was an interesting one because I think um, a lot of people are often very quick to judge. Yes. You know, either each other or in this case, you know, even heavenly beings or fallen beings, whatever it is. And it's like he's taken the whole thing of judgment totally out and said, it's not your place to judge, you know, send them send them to me to judge. It's like you just deal with what you need to do with and then send them to me. Judgment is my domain, it's not your domain. And I thought that was an interesting one that, you know, immediately uh, that kind of was impressed upon me, which is an interesting outcome now in my everyday life that in my dealings with people, it's almost like there's far more respect mm. to the journey that they're on rather than wanting to push a certain agenda or certain belief or certain anything. It's like, um, you know, to trust that what you're on, what you're discovering is actually what you need to work through. Mm. Now, of course, we're here to give a little bit of our wisdom and, you know, that's part of the conversation that we share. But to, you know, respect that the other person is on a journey and they've got the choices to make. It's not your choice to make it for them. 
even to the point of making a judgment on them, mm. whether or not they're this, that, or the other. It's like, no, respect the person, respect even these entities. It's not yours to come into the area of judgment. Mm. And so I did that, and then immediately again, it was like they just turned and disappeared. And I thought, man, oh man. So all that time, I did not tell my heavenly experience, the angelic experience, or anything like that to anybody. So when they came back from their coffee and finally said bye to the in-laws and it was quiet and I just had Penny on my own, sort of like, you know, the evening. And I said to him, you know, can I share something with you? And then I started opening up. And to my surprise, she was very accepting. And then I started sharing that with a couple of very trusted friends and they were, wow, you know, accepting. And um, one of the friends that I had, um, so as I said, I was a minister on the Sunshine Coast at that time, and there was another pastor who was a friend who came to visit me in hospital. And when uh, when this happened, he saw me and he said, you are beaming from ear to ear. You, you Something happened. When you're ready to tell me, I'd love to listen what happened to you. Before that, I told nobody. So my confidence was getting up, and I thought, okay, look, you know, I'll share this with he had a cup of coffee and I shared it and he thought, wow, can you share this with um, our congregation one day? And I thought, oh man, this is, you know, but I thought, look, if it helps someone, if it does something, you know, uh, good, if it brings some more confidence, uh, and I did, they recorded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days it was on, you know, um, VHS, which, you know, probably a lot, a lot of young listeners probably wouldn't even know. So <laughs> tape. It was on tape. And, um, before DVD. No, before DVD. <laughs> and it's like, you know, 2004 we're talking about. And, and um, so that then was taped and without my knowing it was spread around like wildfire. That, you know, they were in hot production just because they, the demand was just – so they sent it everywhere. And suddenly other people – found out about it and the following year 2005 there was a um um an event up here in Toowoomba that was called 40 days of unity where all these churches came together and and did some some unity kind of work so they had um this uh conference or you know and guest speaker and they found out about it and called me up to say would you like to I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, so I came up thinking it might be just a little bunch of people, but no, it was at the Empire Theatre, and there were busloads of people from all sorts of places coming to hear it, and they videoed it professionally, right? The other one was just, you know, what, what, you know, you sort of put together. No, this one was like top cameras, and so it was then uh, aired on Christian cable TV, and it was like all over the nation. So I'm thinking, okay, not my story anymore. This is now out, so... I've come to terms with the fact that it's okay to share the story because, you know, Helen, one of the things that I have discovered when I've shared this, so many people have come back to me and said, you know, I had an experience, but I did not want to tell it to anybody. But because you had it and you're a pastor, you might understand, da-da-da, and then they share these stories with me. There are so many stories Mm. that I've come across that people then open up. Yeah, there are a lot more than you think. Yeah, notes are normal, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a 
uh, you know, that's why I use the term note in, in this podcast because it, these experiences happen way more. Yours is an incredible experience, but even there's this incredible variety of experiences that everyone has that says there's more to life than meets the eye, but that we're nervous to talk about them. I would just encourage everyone, get curious about it. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not actually that fearful. Mm. I think we often uh, prevent ourselves from stepping into something bigger because of fear. You know, step into it with faith. Mm. And, you know, this idea that, um, the, you know, that God showed me this, this angelic world, if you like, and, yes, there is the stuff that, um, you know, try and gets you down, but you've got um, power over that too, you know. Mm. He wouldn't have told me to say, look, you know, just shut them up and bind them and kick them out. It's like, you know, they don't have anything to do with uh, your life. Uh, um, you know, but, but even there, respect them. It's like, you know, it's not yours now to just go and condemn them, if you like. It's like, so that was a weird thing, isn't it? You know, that even in that realm, the issue of respect for one another is, um, is upheld. Mm. And I think, you know, if it's there, it should also be this side of eternity. Mm. And it also um, suggests that all experiences are necessary. Yeah. Um, that this, you know, the angelic beings of majesty and the beings that were um, mischievous, if that word applies, um, all experiences are necessary to create a whole. I just wonder sometimes that um, with with an awareness of this, that you start to realise that you are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made, mm. that there is actually something really to be proud of in terms of your life and that curiosity to think, how am I going to grow into the fullness of what I'm actually meant to be? Uh, get rid of the stuff that keeps dragging you down into the ordinary and realise that you're actually extraordinary. Yes. And not separate from that extraordinary part of you, even though you're having a human experience. Mm. Mm. I don't think that everyone needs to have a near-death experience in order to think that or come to an awareness of that. I think the fact that there's so many um, are starting to come out with their stories. And I heard a quote somewhere oh, just come to mind uh, because I'm on a, I'm on a near-death uh, research foundation uh, webpage as well. And I think I came across there, but they... You know, there are doctors now who are coming out with statements about this and in, in support um, and all the way through to different people from different walks of life. And the quote goes something like this, the evidence for life after death is like looking at Mount Everest and thinking it's not there. Mm. It's like so overwhelming. Mm. And I think we're coming into, I think the, the humanity all around the world is coming into a more of an awareness of this and an acceptance of this, and even an embrace of this. And so I th would, you know, think that um, the curiosity is not something that killed the cat. I think the <laughs> curiosity is actually something that will give you your little um, morsel of, of yumminess, if you like, you know, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, some people call it the juiciness of life, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So now, given you've got that really strong Christian background, and you're still working in that sort of 
field, shall we say, I can't think of a better word. Um, do you see God as a separate being? How do you mean separate? Oh, that's hard to answer. Um, you know when you were on the other side and and you still had a, a, an entity that you identified as you or a, a, a part that you identified as you, a feeling that you were you, is God separate to you um, or in that realm on the other side do we all become one somehow? Where, where's the oneness come in, I, I guess, is okay, maybe the question. Um, you know what? Uh, the experience that I had on the other side uh, or that heavenly experience or whichever way that we yeah, kind of like... It's hard to put words around yeah, it, isn't talk it? talk about it. It's like, um, you know, the sort of thing that we call God is actually a mystery of there's always more. Right, so it's 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 kind of like you know, I think God is actually calling us ever closer into an experience of what what does that mean to be in in connection with God. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the fact that that as you have more experiences, you may think that wow, there is something closer of God within me, kind of stuff like that. You know, because it's like you know, His calling or you know the the into into closer relationship allows you to see something of what he sees in us. I don't know. So, But the thing is that um, that's the best way that I can describe it, that, you know, the oneness then is actually the experiences that you are found in that relationship, and it's a tight relationship. We used to use the word one. Actually, even biblically speaking, that oneness is a very interesting concept that I don't think a lot of... Um, uh, Christians have even contemplated uh, because they're in 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 the New Testament in the, in a book um, called uh, uh, the Gospel of John, in chapter seventeen, you see uh, Jesus' prayer for for us, and there's an interesting concept that uh, is there in the prayer where he says, "May they be as you know all of us, may they be one with us as I and the Father are one." He speaks about that oneness already and is actually drawing us into such a close connection that, you know, when we're talking about who is Jesus, who is God kind of stuff that, you know, he talks about the oneness with, with God, you know, even later on in John what was it, 14 when those, sort of, you know, where the disciples say to him, show us the Father. And he says, you know, if you haven't, you have, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I and the Father are one. So he speaks of oneness all the time. And I think what we get drawn into, if you like, that experience I had in heaven, or even with the angelic kind of stuff, is that oneness of connection. And the more that you get connected into that oneness, the more it feels like everything is just one. Do you know what I mean? But it's actually about connections and drawing us ever closer into greater connections. Mm. I don't think heaven is limited. I think what we have here is limited. Mm. And I think our journey, our searching, is actually already a God deposit within us that says, you wait, you haven't seen anything yet. I think this idea that God breathed uh, eternity into us is not, you know, this caricature that we're going to be on a cloud praying, uh, playing a harp and thinking that's it. I think it's going to be that search for more and more and more because um, I think what God has created is always beyond us and drawing us into something greater. 
So when you then think about it, um, a person who has discovered something, it may actually seem in relationship, in comparison to someone who's not even interested, that, wow, you know, they've discovered something and the other person has still yet to come to a realisation that there is more. But I think the call is actually on all of us. There is more. Seek that. So I don't... See, I think um, when we use the word separation, and that means uh, even in terms of body and soul or, you know, us here and there, uh, separation is a human term that I think is part of... Um, our fallen condition. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, God does is actually repair and make connections mm -hmm. and brings us back into that relationship. relationship. Mm. So I think that, you know, well, if that's the agenda, you know, for everything that we have in terms of the message and, you know, well, Christmas, Easter, the whole thing is actually about God creating connections again and drawing us into that connection. And if that's the case, then what should we be about? What should we be doing Shouldn't we be repairing the connections? Shouldn't we be honouring the connections that we have and, and making those connections with other human beings that we have something beautiful where you sort of think, wow, that was a good day. The people I met, that was a really fun experience. You know, it really blessed me. We sort of say blessed me. It's like, you know, wow, everything turned out cool. And be a blessing to the others. You know, make their day. You know, put a smile on their Wouldn't that be kind of like, you know, what would the world be like if... Um, we focused on on repairing the separation with connections again. Because too much. I mean, I'm a counsellor as well, right? And I see so much separation in couples, in families, and whatever it is. But, you know, they start to put a smile on their face again when they start to heal, both within themselves as well as in relationships, because connections are made again. Mm. And I think that's oneness. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and just a smile can do it. A, yeah. s a smile started my journey a long time ago, but it was it was a smile. Mm. You know, when I came up here to Toowoomba, uh, so previously I was down on the Gold Coast, and everyone is so busy chasing after everything else. That really doesn't matter, but they're chasing after it. And you can see on their faces... They're stressed, they're strained, no smile. I mean, the thing is, a lot of people come to the Gold Coast because they want to get away from the stress for a holiday, but, you know, it's like just a momentary respite and then you go back and it's like back into the grindstone, back into the tension, back into the whatever, you know. It's like, so it's a, it's a false kind of a thing. So you don't see too many people smiling unless it's like, you know, oh, you know, I'm having a great time and all this sort of stuff because... If you really look, you see the strain on people's busy, busy life face. But up here, it was so funny because I think in Toowoomba, people are still, at least my, my coming up to Toowoomba, I noticed the difference between down there and up here, that um, people smiled. And when I first came up here and was you know, connected to a congregation or whatever it is, I, I did, a lot of people knew me. I didn't know them, right? So it was funny because, you know, uh, you go to the checkouts or the, the you know, Grand Central and you know, whatever it is, and people smile at you and you're sort of thinking, am I supposed to know you? <laughs> it's like, you know, do you know me? It's like, so you start these conversations assuming that they actually know you from that, you know, it's, no, 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 I'm just sort of smiling at you. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's such a nice way to live is just, you know, smile and it makes your day, as you said, you know, just 
be busy smiling rather than uh, life is too short to focus on all the wrong things. I think life is very valuable when you focus on the right things. Mm, absolutely. So did we finish your story? Not really. Because <laughs> there's wait, there's more kind of stuff, isn't there? It's yeah. a bit like um yeah. Um so this happened much, much uh, later on after this. So I was getting ready to come into work and I still had some time off. So it's like, I'm cool. Everything's, you know, sorted. I'm getting better and better. But um, this voice that I heard in heaven become a familiar part of my prayer life. So it's not like it was like a monologue anymore i hope that you get the memo god you know it's like no it, it started to become more and more like a, a dialogue kind of stuff where you where you start to have ears to hear if you like you know kind of stuff where you sort of think uh, anyway i had um three conversations with god sort of thing and people sort of think oh you know and this is again weird but it was like it was such a nice delightful conversation that came out of the blue and the first one and every time it started off with a question which is not normally the way that you think um you know a prayer life would end up being but it was like yeah so first one that um uh god sort of came and spoke into my life and he sort of said do you know i have a plan for everybody it's like you know as well I'm looking around. I mean, it was like as if I, you know, someone was next to me and I'm looking around. I thought, wow. And then I thought, no, this is the this is that voice that I heard in heaven. I was like, okay, you know, I'm sure you have got a plan for everybody. And he says, no, 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 I've got a plan for everybody. And he started sharing with me about how, like an architect, you you have a blueprint that you you kind of like put the raw schematics together, right? This is way everything should should connect, and then you build a building, right? So. And, um, but what do we do? We roll it back up again, put it in a <laughs> cylinder and I don't know, just put, put it in a safe place. Put it in a safe place or put it in a place we forget, you know, so just put very it in Very safe. Corner. Yeah, very safe. <laughs> and, um, then the builders come with all of the bricks and the beams and the windows and whatever it is, life starts to happen, right? And then we saw us, you know, the builders say, okay, where's this going to go? How are we going to, and we in turn, because we don't reference anything, so well, I don't know, let's just put it together. And then we wonder why our life sometimes looks like a jumble of of a mess because we have not actually built it the way it was purposed. And I mean that also in terms of the circumstances in life that happen, good or bad or whatever, they all have a place to fit. They all have a reason to be. You know, it's that brick in the wall, you know, whatever it is, that all fits together and builds something. So... um. That was the first um, conversation that I had with him. And the second conversation, a totally, again, different random moment in the day, and he said, do you know how to get a grip on life? And I thought, oh, that's <laughs> a voice again. Oh, okay, how do you get a grip on life? And I thought, um, well, how do you get a grip on life? I don't know. You know, it's, The funny thing is I even remember, sort of, I don't know, fast track me. I actually said the word fast track me. I didn't like, get to the point. It's like <laughs> 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 and... and and uh, so I said, well, look at your hand. 
And I looked at my hand and I said, yeah, okay. You know, he said, have you noticed that the thumb is different from the fingers? And I said, yeah, okay. And he said, do you know what the fourth fingers represent? And I thought, okay, how do you get a grip on life? I don't know. Um, what do they represent? And there's a passage that's both in the Old Testament and repeated in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Wow. Right? So, you know, the, the call, your podcast of, you know, move into love, it's like, you know, this whole thing about how do you, you know, it's with all of your being, not just partially, you know, all of those four things. Not just things, on a Sunday. Not just on a Sunday and not just, you know, kind of, again, this separation of, oh, I love God with with this part, but I won't with that part. No, with all of your, you know, heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and strength, everything that makes you who you are. Because you can't, you know, according to the way that Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? So you can't love your neighbor if you don't have love for yourself. Love your neighbor as you have love for yourself. It starts off with love God. You know, there needs to be a, a, that, that oneness connection that gives you and fills your tank to love your neighbor. So I may in my head sort of think, oh, I'd love to give you a million dollars. If I don't have it in my tank, if I don't have that, there's no way I can contribute towards that, that need. I've got a couple of bucks and I'm like, okay, that's all I've got. So your capacity to grow is in that relationship of love, right? Mm. So there I thought, okay, that's cool. What about the thumb? He said, well, and this is the interesting thing that when Jesus fulfilled everything that he did, he gave us his spirit. And this is in John chapter 20 where he met with his disciples and he said, as the Father sent me, now I send you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So, when we, Helen, you were talking about oneness. Mm. Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God mm. is within us now. And that's the thing that Jesus repaired the rupture, repaired the damage to bring the one thing that God had on his agenda. How am I going to get my spirit into you guys? And that was the gift. So here's the interesting thing. The thumb is the spirit that we need because under that, you then if you put your hand together, that thumb locks in with the fingers and you get a grip on life. Mm. We need the spirit active in our life, but we also need love active in our life with all of our being. Mm. And I thought, wow, great. That's cool. <laughs> then the third conversation that I had with him was he says, uh, do you know what the Ten Commandments are about? And I think this is the bane of both Christians and non-Christians alike in terms of, oh, you know, I sort of think, oh, yeah, well, okay, you know, lots of do's and don'ts. And so, you know, like I, I could even almost hear the groaning and grinding. It's like, yeah, so it's almost like, you know, it's like, yeah, and it's like, okay, you totally missed the point of what it's about sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, and he said, uh, look, um, so the conversation focused on the fact that all these things in our life, like, you know, when you think about the Ten Commandments, it's like, you know, don't cover, don't lie, don't deceive, and all of those kind of things that are there. It's like he, saw, he talked about that they're doorways. But once you open up those doors, there's a whole lot of mess that comes with it. So the whole idea of my experience now where God says, I've opened up heaven's door. Whatever you need, get it from heaven. Close those doors. You know, there's no need for you to go into lying about it or coveting or deceiving or, you know, any of those kind of things that you think that, oh, that's going to get me what I need, what I want. 
and make your case through that. That's just going to open up doors to misery and pain and all sorts of mischief in your life. Close those doors because heaven's door is open to you. Anything you want, it's there for you. Get it from the right place. And I found, wow, I thought, wow, that's, that's an interesting way. I've, I don't think I've ever taught or preached in that way about the Ten Commandments. But yes, close those doors. Keep them closed. They're not for you to open. That's just going to mess you up. And bring lots of those, uh, what did you call them? Like paper angels. Mm. The ones that had no debt. Parch- the parchment stuff. Parchment, yes. Yeah, an empty life. An empty create, life. Create an empty life. So I think that's an interesting one because I, I think I'm s- starting to get a sense of the importance of authority that you have yes. and authority that the other side has. Like, for instance, if you, if you say, okay, look, I'm just going to lie my way through this, you're giving authority to that other entity to really mess with you. You're opening up a door to things that are going to mess you up. And I think... Um, but God has given us authority. No, slam it shut. Don't go that way. But here's my door. This is open for you. I've actually given you authority. Come in. You know, take what you need. It's in that oneness. It's in that relationship. It's in that repair place, not in that separation place. So, kind of like, you know, that's where I'm at now, living life in that repair and oneness and, you know, every day as being something where God is saying, look, look what I've done. This is this is my day for you. Check it out. Um, and we have, this is not just, oh, we're aimlessly going through it. We actually have control over the next step that we take, the next thing that we do, how we're having a conversation, what we're going to think, et cetera, et cetera. We're not a dumb being that just is out of control. We're actually quite in control of our life here and on the other side which is an amazing thing when you start to realize that even in counseling, you're not a victim. You can take control. You can come into a much better place. And God is drawing you out of misery into a good place, a connected place. And that's a journey. That does not happen with a flick of a switch, although, you know, a near heaven experience could flick you over <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I was just chatting with someone this morning about who has, this person has um, begun this journey in extremely difficult situation, which you would see all the time in your mm. counselling work. Um, and so I think it takes a lot of bravery. Um, well, I mean, it's often a drama, a terrible situation that triggers the search uh, or the journey. But anyway, I think this person's held a great deal of courage to hold strong to the journey during these difficult cir- life circumstances. Anyway, I was saying to this person, um, uh, you know, I think I'm really proud of you for holding strong during this time. It's you've you've been rebuilding this relationship with who you really are in the most testing times. You know, you've held the courage, you've held the commitment to the journey, and it will it will come good in the end. And now I can't even remember why I started telling you this. Well, look, I'll just add a thought that I've been sharing with other people. And I saw it on a billboard once, and it just was one of those aha moments where you saw truth on a billboard. And it's like, wow. <laughs> the, the saying was, whatever you hold on to has a hold on you. Yes. 
So when people are holding on to bitterness and spite and anger and all of that kind of stuff, it has a hold on you. And it's an interesting thing where we also said we have choices. We can actually start to major on that or let it go and hold on to that, which is going to repair or get you out of that situation into something new or whatever it is. You have the ability to hold on to something that is going to be better and lead you to that or hold on to that, which is bitter, and it'll drag you down into that. I would much rather go for the better. Yes, yes. Well, I can sense that we're about to either start a whole new conversation or we, or perhaps we should wrap up the one we've been enjoying for a little over an hour now. Um, I just have immense appreciation for you sharing your story, Dirk. Uh, I know I can picture listeners just soaking it up Um it carries a frequency that helps us all on our journeys and that is a beautiful gift. Thank you very, very much. Pleasure. And uh, maybe we can have more conversations down the track for listeners. But otherwise, if you are in the Toowoomba area, people can come and find you here. Yeah, they could. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're starting a counselling practice? Yes, uh, one of the interesting things about this coming to Toowoomba was also, again, a significant life change down the Gold Coast. And like I said, you know, it doesn't mean that life suddenly, if you have a near-death experience, becomes rose petals. You still have quite a lot of thorns under those rose petals and life is what it is. But um, you, like I said, you don't have to get stuck there. And we had this call on our heart. On, you know, it's, you were talking about... Um, when we were offline about, you know, moments that shift you. Mm. And there was one of those shifts that occurred. And uh, we felt this call to get into counselling, come up here. And since then, coming up here and connecting with the community where we're connected to, uh, there was a lot of support to get that going. And then to my surprise, I mean, this is where when you flow into a calling, then suddenly all sorts of things attract to that calling. We now have a team of five other counsellors, everything from neuroscience to life coaches, and whatever, a real smorgasbord of um, uh, being able to meet people's needs wherever that may be, but um, all professionally trained, which is great because it's not like, you know, a counselling thing out of a Wheatbix box. So it's like, you know, no, this is, you know, highly qualified people who are all having this passion uh, in terms of this... I call it a ministry of healing, you know, where you can sort of think about how do we bring some some of the good stuff back into people's lives and help them uh, to reach that. So hopefully by about September, we're going to go live. We are already live, but it's like I think what they call a soft launch. You know, it's like we have a couple of rooms in the back of where the church premises is. There's a house and we've, we're operating out of that. And hopefully we're going to have the front of the house, which is going to give us a lot more rooms and, and uh, abilities to do a lot of things uh, uh, that are bigger than just uh, one-on-one and maybe even group work and other things that can happen out of that. But it, that's the dream at the moment. And But we're um, putting the business plan together. We're doing all of the admin stuff, which is not my happy place, but we're going to have to get through that and, and get towards it. And then, yeah, um, you'll probably... Hear it launched somewhere, in the, maybe you, in the papers. Does it have a name yet? 
at the moment, it's kind of like, you know, because it's at uh, the location where the church is, at Living Grace, and it's a professional counselling centre. So we just chuck those two together, Living Grace Professional Counselling Centre. Uh, who knows whether it might actually even get another different name, but at the moment that's what we're going for because it's like, okay, it's at that place where Living Grace is on 90 Jellicoe Street and uh, from there we'll operate. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, most of my listeners know that they can jump on my website, livetruetoyou.com, for the show notes for each episode. So I will include links to the Living Grace Professional Counselling Centre. Awesome. Um, on that web page as well as links to your youtube video and um the other things that we've chatted about today in a nice little discussion so fantastic thank you again dirk pleasure it's been wonderful it's been fun hasn't it (laughs) um so that's it for today's episode of the more love podcast i yep head to live true to you.com for the show notes and until next time have a wonderful time Bye.